Men, we're under attack. On every side, evil forces encircle us, and they desire to tear down and destroy that which we stand upon. Our families, our faith, our forefathers are being overthrown on every side. Just as in the day of Isaiah, we are witnessing justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. Truth is fallen in the streets. And just as it is today, the reason we find is that there was no man, there was no intercessor. How long will we allow this injustice to take place? How long will we relinquish the removal of righteousness? How far will we allow the truth to fall in our streets? Where are the men of courage who are called to fight for the faith? Where are the mighty men who will raise a fist and declare enough? Where are the fearless few who race towards giants, who swing jawbones, who crumbled walled cities, who plagued evil rulers, who walked on water, and who carried crosses? What if God's plan for every man was to take that stand? What if each man were willing to be God's man in battle? What if God has called you to be the one to charge the enemy's camp? What if he has commissioned you to boldly believe and fight fearlessly on his behalf? We are calling all men who are ready to return to the resolute and rigid righteousness of our faith. Men who possess a power and who carry a courage to stand for God's word in a world bent on destroying it. Take up the mighty banner of belief, and like our Savior, may we have courage to be a mighty man. To be completely honest with you guys, I really struggle preparing this message for this month's uh, meeting. Not really because I don't believe it, but the Lord was just uncomfortably pressing his finger right here in what we're talking about. And the reason it was so difficult was because... I consider myself a pretty forgiving person, whether someone does me wrong or my family wrong, whether, you know, something is done wrong in the church, even if a person messes up and they sin, I've always thought of myself as a fairly generous person when it comes to forgiveness. And yet what's made this so difficult this month is that the Lord has been stirring in my soul that forgiveness is not enough because men forgive But mighty men go beyond forgiveness. And so today I want to introduce you to two types of forgiveness that we find in our lives. And the first type of forgiveness is what I'd like to claim that I would say all of us, every single one of us are using in our own life. And this is the ledger lifestyle. So I want you to imagine that every single time anyone ever has done you wrong, that you kept a file a manila folder file. And for every person who cuts you off in traffic, every time someone didn't shake your hand in church, when the boss overlooked you for that promotion, when the kids didn't come to visit, when someone was running your family through the mud, whatever the offense, you know about it, you remember it, and you kept a file on it. For every wrong, every wrong done in your life, you have a manila paper file, and on the inside cover, you have the person's name, the date of the offense, the details of what they committed, maybe you've got some evidence inside of what they did wrong, and any time 
there's a repeat offender. You go to your filing cabinet and you look up this person's file and you add more evidence inside. Some of the files are fat and full. Some of them just have a sticky note, right? Yet every file is an offense that someone made against you. And every day at the end of the day, you, you make a habit, you come home, and you place all of those files in your ginormous filing cabinet. In fact, it's a room of filing cabinets because the more times you're done wrong, the more files you have. And eventually one cabinet turns into two, which turns into five, which turns into 20 and 50 and 100. And because you've been done wrong so many times and because so many people have hurt you in your life, soon your home, the place where you live, is overtaken by filing cabinets. In in the kitchen, there are files on the counter. In the bathroom, they're piled up in the shower. You, you can't go to sleep anymore because there's files stacked on the bed. Forget watching the TV. You can't see it because there are files everywhere blocking your view. And eventually, because of your files that you have to keep, you're actually unable to live your normal life because you're too busy upkeeping files. Files have overtaken everything and, you know, you want to have fun with the kids, but you can't because there are files. You, you want to go sit down and watch a movie or, or read a good book, but you can't because there's files. You, you want to, you know, fix a sandwich, but you can't because files. Now, the truth is that most of us don't admit this, right? We live this way. We assume that this is normal. We assume everyone else lives this way. Listen, this month, this month's men's ministry is for men, right? We're not, we're not here at the women's ministry. We could tell you that when you're done wrong, you shouldn't cry about it. You should forgive them and not gossip behind their back. But listen, we're men here, right? That's not our style. We're more file type people. And this is where the Lord's made me really uncomfortable this month. Because with my lips, I have said, I forgive them. I've moved on. I'm past it. I don't hold it against them any longer. And yet I look around and there are files in my life. When I talk to a person, I might smile to them. I, I might shake their hand. But in the back of my mind, I know good and well that back at home, there is a file with their name on it. And a list of all the things they've done against me. I might get a text from somebody, and though I should probably respond right away, I'm slow at getting back with them because, well, I remember their file. Maybe I'm invited to go out for lunch or come to visit someone's house, and I conveniently find an excuse because, frankly, I have a big fat file with their name on it at home, and I don't want to be around them right now. Now, I've forgiven them, right? I've said the words, I forgive you, so I'm all good. I've done my part. I love them, but... I still keep that file just in case, just in case I need to look back, just in case I need to remember what they did, just in case they start to accuse me of something, I'll have that evidence against them. And suddenly, you know, I start to back away. I start to, I start to shy away from spending time with other people because I'm convinced that everyone is just a file waiting to happen, just a wrong waiting to enter my life. And the more time I spend around others, the more I have to file folders. And the more I have to file folders, the more I have to upkeep the folders. And the more I have to store in my house and it overtakes my life. And suddenly, I'm unable to live freely. My life is restricted. I have become chained to my filing ways. This is what we do as men. 
we're not the gossip type. We we don't cry about our hurt feelings, but we do keep files. We do remember. We do have a subconscious record in our lives that we refuse to let go of. We stew on it, right? We, we, we fixate on it. We say we forgive them. It's in the past, and yet still it's very present in the way we think and treat these people. We don't hate them, but we're indifferent. We're, we're distant. We're numb towards them. And as a result, our lives are overtaken by these files. And this is a problem, a big problem. Listen, we'll run people out of the church for saying a swear word or watching this or listening to that. And yet, we can have a house full of files and preach proudly from the pulpit. If your life is filled with files, it is not filled with Christ. You cannot be Christ-like and keep files, period. Listen, guys, you cannot be a mighty man. You cannot be a godly man as long as you keep the files. In fact, do you know what the Apostle Paul called our filing cabinets in our lives? He calls them ignorant devices of Satan. Listen to 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11. To whom ye forgive anything, I also forgive. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgive I it in the person of Christ. Listen. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And here we are feeling justified for our house full of files. Believing we have every right to remember, every right to keep a record, every right to hold an account of the wrongs done against us. And Paul reminds us that if we fail to forgive, if we fail to truly forgive and forget, we're allowing Satan an advantage in our lives. We're giving him storage space in our house. He has access because of the filing cabinets. We're making them ignorant devices for him. Listen. If you're keeping count, you're not forgiving. Don't keep count, forgive. Listen, some of us can't some of us can't get past the files that we've kept on our wives or our parents or our children. The people we love the most. Sure, we we made up. We said we forgive them. We said I'm sorry. We in fact love them, yet when a conversation turns the wrong way, when the need to threat or the need for ammunition in a conversation arises, guess who's got the record tucked right here in my file? Because our wives won't do this, I'm not going to do that. We're, we're keeping a record. We're keeping track. We're living a ledger life that files every score needed, even with the people we love the most. And do you realize that God actually has a filing cabinet himself? Our Heavenly Father files his own. It's not like he wants to. In fact, he despises files. God hates files, but we force him to keep them. In Matthew 6 and in Mark 11, we find the Lord's Prayer, you know, forgive them our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then right after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us very plainly, If you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. If you're determined to live a ledger lifestyle, if you're fixated on file keeping, then God in heaven will be forced to keep a file on you. 
And this is the irony of our file keeping. For every single file we keep, there is a flip file for the father. I'm done wrong. I, I pull out my manila folder and I start to write down the crimes against me. And as I do, as I scribble on my file, I hear the squeaking of a pen beside me. And I look over my shoulder and I find God writing in a folder of his own. And I think, oh good, he must be keeping track of what they did to me. I smile glumly to myself. After all, vengeance is his, says the Lord. And yet God turns the folder so that I can see. And it's not my offender whose name is at the top. It's my name at the top of his file. As I write it, a file of offense of others, God writes a file of offense against me. He says, fine. If you're fixated on keeping these files, then you're forcing me to keep a file against you. Listen, guys, these are the facts. Our ledger lifestyle hinders our relationship with God. We literally force his hand because we're unwilling to forgive and forget. And our Heavenly Father is forced then to remember our sins. That that same condescending way that you look at other people you can't forgive is the same way that he looks at you. That same cold shoulder you give someone else, that same numb feeling towards others, that same outlook you have for someone who's done you wrong, God is forced to give it back to you because we have, in fact, done him wrong. And God says, fine, keep your files and I'll keep some of my own. We are out of God's will. We're out of his presence. We hinder his work and his power in our lives because we're determined to live a ledger lifestyle. Is anyone, is anyone tired of a life being overtaken by files? Anyone exhausted by this ledger lifestyle? Tired of remembering just in case? Listen, mighty men do not keep files. If you're counting, you're not forgiving. So that's the first forgiveness lifestyle. The second forgiveness lifestyle is rare. In fact, it's, it's like a pearl and an oyster, right? It's like a gold nugget. It's, it's nearly forgotten. It's, it's like a unicorn. It's nearly extinct completely. It's almost a myth. And yet, undeniably, no matter where you look or how you read your Bible, undeniably, this type of a lifestyle of forgiveness is what we are called to as Christians. The second way that we live is a lavish lifestyle of forgiveness. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I'm going to read that again. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So how exactly has God forgiven me for Christ's sake? Well, before I became a Christian, God had a ginormous, a ludicrously large filing cabinet with Josh's name on it. And inside there were so many fat-filled files that you couldn't even count them. 
Every single time I did God wrong, every single sin I committed against him, all kept in a filthy filing cabinet by God. He kept track of everything I'd ever done because one day he knew I would stand in court and before the judge's seat, he needed evidence to present against me of my wrongs, my crimes. And so he filled this filing cabinet with proof of my guilt, evidence of what I've done wrong. And yet one day, one day I placed my faith in Jesus Christ and I admitted that I had done God wrong. I admitted my sins and I said, God, forgive me. And with that, Christ walks up to God and Christ says, did you hear that? Did you hear what he said? He said he's sorry. He admitted that he hurt you. He admitted his sins against you. God, are you going to forgive him? And with that, Christ hands God a match and a gallon of gasoline. And he says, for my sake, God, forgive him. Burn the files. And with that, for Christ's sake, God douses my entire filing cabinet, every single one of my convicting files of the wrongs I did against him, everyone doused with gasoline. And with a heart-filled smile on his face, God tosses the match inside and God says, I remember what he did no longer. And now for Christ's sake, when I sin... Now, God is up there with his manila folder and his pen in hand, ready to take an account for what I do now, after becoming a Christian, and yet after every offense, as I repent and as I ask for forgiveness, Jesus hands God a match again, and he hands him gasoline again, and he says, for my sake, forgive him again, and without hesitation, right there on the spot, God lights my files of filth on fire every time, making him unable and not capable any longer of knowing or remembering or tracking or tracing or keeping a record of what I've done. Paul says to forgive one another as God forgave you. Have we really stopped to consider how extravagant that forgiveness is? We love to celebrate it and sing about it and shout about it, and truly it is something to get excited about. But what I want us to grasp today is that there is a contingency on this forgiveness. If we want such forgiveness, such extravagant forgiveness... We have to first give such forgetful, extravagant forgiveness. In fact, the word forgive found in the Bible is very simple. It's very straightforward. The word literally means release, pardon, let go as if it had never been committed. It means to burn the file and forget it ever existed. Remember no longer that there was ever an offense made. Remove and erase all trace of wrong ever done towards you. This is what I want us to grasp. We are called to forgive as God forgave us. Well, how how did he forgive us? Extravagantly. So much so 
that as we read Matthew 18, it seems like Jesus is exaggerating the amount of erasing of our debts. In Matthew 18, we find that Peter asks, Lord, how many times should I forgive somebody? Matthew 18, the the whole chapter is about reconciliation. It's all about forgiveness. We find the lost sheep and the shepherd, and then we find the brother who sins against the church, and they reconcile him and go to him and him alone. And then we come down to Peter asking in verse 21, How oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Like Peter, all of us, Try to rationalize our forgiveness. We try to forgive in such a way that keeps count, right? That holds a record. This person wronged me five times. Only two more to go. Up, 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 buddy. You better watch out. You're on number six, right? One more time and I'm not forgiving you. Keeping count of the wrongs done against us. Saying you forgive them, but having a record of the wrongs they've done. We're keeping count, And at at the time that Peter asked this question, there was this unspoken rule of forgiveness that everyone accepted. And at the time, we know that uh, it was not unusual for rabbis to have a school of disciples, just as Jesus did. And so the teachings of the rabbis taught that you were required to ask, or you were rather required to give forgiveness three times, which was three more times than, right, the Jewish people, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, right? So... The rabbi said, you have to forgive someone three times if they ask. And so Peter, considering what Jesus had just taught them about forgiveness in chapter 18, Peter, knowing the standard, knowing the rule of thumb of three times of forgiveness, Peter thinks about it. And then Peter over doubles the highest standard. Peter thinks to himself, well, if rabbis demand we forgive three times, then I'll really impress Jesus. I'll forgive someone up to seven times. Jesus will have his mind blown. No one, and I mean no one, forgives that much. And notice what Jesus responds with. Verse 22. I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take an account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now we're, gonna, we're not going to read the rest of this parable because it's rather lengthy. But Jesus goes on to tell this parable we all know, right? There, there's this king and he forgives a servant who was indebted to him for 10,000 talents. And this one who was forgiven 10,000 talents turns around and he will not forgive someone who owes 100 denarii. And obviously we're not not Jewish, so we kind of miss the whole punchline here. But again, Peter is thinking, I'll over double the standard of forgiveness. I'll tell Jesus I'm willing to forgive someone up to seven times. And Jesus responds with a story. You know, at the time in the Greek world, 10,000 was the largest number that they could count to. It was the largest number of calculations. It's like using, you know, it's like we would say a bajillion, right? This crazy number that's does it, not even countable. And Jesus says that this man owed 10,000 talents. Now, the talent that Jesus speaks of is actually the largest sum of money that they had at the time. It was the largest currency they had. So we have the $100 bill, right? They had the talent, And in fact, it would take 15 years 
worth of wages to earn one talent. 15 years, half a lifetime to earn one talent. And in order to make 10,000 talents, it would take 150,000 years of labor. 150,000 years of labor to pay this debt off. This would be the equivalent to owing $7.8 billion of debt in today's economy. And Jesus says that the king forgave this crazy amount of debt completely. The amount forgiven was shocking, insurmountable, uncomprehensible, and yet it was completely forgiven. And Jesus, Jesus only, he, he almost appears to exaggerate. Except, I know just how much sin debt I have towards him. He's not using crazy proportions. He's right. I have sinned so much that it is unpayable. I could never pay the price for my forgiveness. And that was Jesus' point exactly. A debt of a debt of a bazillion talents is so crazy large it cannot be kept track of. And Jesus says, like the king, forgive so extravagantly that it's not possible to keep a record. File keeping forgiveness is not even an option. If you're counting, you're not forgiving, Jesus says. If someone hurts you 100 denarii worth, and you hurt me $7.8 billion worth, do you see how that's not comparable? If we, if we put this in, in an easier to understand terms, if, if the servant owed the king $5.8 million, his fellow servant owed him $10. And Jesus says, you have hurt me way, 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 way worse than anyone could ever conceivably hurt you. You've wronged me and sinned against me and trespassed against me so crazy much that it's not comparable to what anyone could do to you in your life. Stop counting. Stop keeping a file. Forgive them and I will forgive you. If you're counting, you're not forgiving. This is the thing, as long as you are alive and as long as you're breathing on this earth, you're going to have people wrong you and hurt you. Family and friends and church people and co-workers and employers and the government, it's guaranteed that you're going to be done wrong. What are you going to do about it? Listen, you can, you can leave here today and you can go home and you can set your filing cabinet ablaze and forgive and forget every wrong ever done to you. And I hope you will. I pray you will. But what happens tomorrow? What happens the next time you're urged to write a file? Are you going to start the process all over? Are you going to start keeping track all over again of the hurts and the harms done to you? Listen, guys. What would it look like to have a predetermined forgiveness? What would it look like to live life with a match and gasoline in hand, ready to freely forgive forever and forget every file, every wrong that's ever opened in your life? What would it look like to refuse to keep count, to refuse to have a record of the sins against you? It would look like freedom. It would look like freedom from file keeping. It would look like peace, joy, contentment, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering. Honestly, it would look like Jesus.
And it would be so radiant and so completely mind-blowing that it would attract a lost and dying world to him. And as people all around us see us living a life that refuses to keep count, we can have a perfect opportunity to say, that's not me. That's him. Let me tell you about his extravagant forgiveness that has enabled me to forgive. Mighty men refuse to keep files because they forgive, they forget forever. I want to wrap up today with this, oh, this great quote from Spurgeon. Such a great quote. I know it's a little long. Such a great quote. Listen to this. Spurgeon writes this. This forgiveness again is given by the Lord Jesus Christ in the completest possible manner. He keeps no back reckonings. He retains no reserves of anger. He so forgives that he forgets. That is the wonder of it. He says, I will not remember thy sins. He casts them behind his back. They are wholly and completely gone from his observation or regard. At last, his poor human nature that even fathers, when they forgive a wayward child, will perhaps throw the offense in the teeth years after. When he again offends. But it is not so with Christ. He says, thy sins shall not be mentioned again against thee forever. He has done with the sins of his people in so effectual a way that not a whisper concerning them shall ever come from his mouth so as to grieve them. They will themselves remember their sins in deep repentance, but the Lord will never challenge them on account of their past rebellions. Blessed be the name of Christ for such complete forgiveness as this. Guys, if you're counting, you are not forgiving. Don't keep count. Forgive. And you too will be forgiven. Thanks so much for joining us for another session of the Sand Hill Men's Ministry. We hope that your soul has been stirred and your faith has been fortified in what God has called each of us to be as a mighty man. Men who are up for the challenge are invited to take part live, online, or in person in our monthly meetings of the Sand Hill Men's Ministry. You can also, of course, catch the video of each session or the podcast as a follow-up. For more information about the Sand Hill Men's Ministry, to attend our next meeting, or for additional Christian content, please visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com. Thanks so much for joining us today as we continue on in Christ.